Section three of A History of Our Own Times, Volume four by Justin McCarthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter forty nine The Troubles in Jamaica. Part one. Demosthenes once compared the policy of the Athenians to the manner in which a barbarian boxes. When the barbarian receives a blow, his attention is at once turned to the part which has got the stroke, and he hastens to defend it. When he receives another blow in another place, his hand is there, just too late to stop it. But he never seems to have any idea beforehand of what he is to expect, or whither his attention ought to be directed. The immense variety of imperial, foreign, and colonial interests that England has got involved in compels a reader of english history and indeed often compels an english statesman to find himself in much the same condition as this barbarian boxer it is impossible to know from moment to moment whither the attention will next have to be turned lord russell's government had hardly come into power before they found themselves compelled to illustrate this truth they had scarcely been installed when it was found that some troublesome business awaited them, and that the trouble, as usual, had arisen in a wholly unthought-of quarter. For some weeks there was hardly anything talked of, we might almost say hardly anything thought of, in England, but the story of the rebellion that had taken place in the island of Jamaica, and the manner in which it had been suppressed and punished the first story came from english officers and soldiers who had themselves helped to crush or to punish the supposed rebellion all that the public here could gather from the first narratives that found their way into print was that a negro insurrection had broken out in jamaica and that it had been promptly crushed but that its suppression seemed to have been accompanied by a very carnival of cruelty on the part of the soldiers and their volunteer auxiliaries some of the letters sent home reeked with blood every writer seemed anxious to accredit himself with the most monstrous deeds of cruelty accounts were given of battues of negroes as if they had been game englishmen told with exulting glee of the number of floggings they had ordered or inflicted of the huts they had burnt down of the men and women they had hanged i visited wrote an english officer to his superior several estates and villages i burnt seven houses in all but did not even see a rebel on returning to golden grove in the evening sixty-seven prisoners had been sent in by the maroons i disposed of as many as possible but was too tired to continue after dark on the morning of the twenty-fourth i started for morant bay having first flogged four and hung six rebels i beg to state that i did not meet a single man upon the road up to keith hall there were a few prisoners there, all of whom I flogged, and then proceeded to Johnstown and Beckford. At the latter place I burned seven houses and one meeting-house, in the former four houses. Another officer writes, We made a raid with thirty men, flogging nine men, and burning their negro houses. We held a court-martial on the prisoners who amounted to about fifty or sixty. Several were flogged without court-martial from a simple examination then the writer quietly added this is a picture of martial law the soldiers enjoy it the inhabitants here dread it if they run on their approach they are shot for
for running away it will be seen that in these letters there is no question of contending with or suppressing an insurrection the insurrection such as it was had been suppressed the writers only give a description of a sort of hunting expedition among the negro inhabitants for the purpose of hanging and flogging the soldiers were pictured as enjoying the work the inhabitants strange to say are observed to dread it their dread would seem to have been unfortunate although certainly not unnatural for if they ran away at the approach of the soldiers the soldiers shot them for their want of confidence it also became known that a colored member of the jamaican house of assembly a man named george william gordon who was suspected of inciting the rebellion and had surrendered himself at kingston was put on board an english war vessel there taken to morant bay where martial law had been declared tried by a sort of drumhead court-martial and instantly hanged such news naturally created a profound sensation in england the aborigines protection society the anti-slavery society and other philanthropic bodies organized a deputation immense in its numbers and of great influence as regarded its composition to aid on mr cardwell secretary for the colonies at the colonial office and urge on him the necessity of instituting a full inquiry and recalling governor eyre the deputation was so numerous that it had to be received in a great public room and indeed the whole scene was more like that presented by some large popular meeting than by a deputation to a minister mr cardwell was so fortunate as to discover a phrase exactly suitable to the occasion in the course of his reply to the deputation he laid it down that every one must be careful not to prejudge the question it was pointed out to him that it can hardly be called prejudging if you take men's own formal and official statements of what they have done and declare that on their own acknowledgments you are of opinion they have done wrong the word prejudge carried thousands of uncertain minds along with it all over the country there was one easy form of protest against the proceedings of the philanthropic societies it was apparently enough to utter the oracular words we must not prejudge mr cardwell however did so far prejudge the case himself as to suspend mr eyre temporarily from his functions as governor and to send out a commission of inquiry to investigate the whole history of the rebellion and the repression and to report to the government sir henry storks a man of great ability and high reputation both as a soldier and administrator who had been lord high commissioner of the ionian islands was summoned from malta where he was then governor and commander-in-chief to take the governorship of jamaica for the time and to act as president of the commission he had associated with him mr russell gurney recorder of london a lawyer of high standing and a distinguished member of parliament and mr j b maul recorder of leeds the philanthropic associations which had taken up the question sent out two barristers to act as counsel for the widowed mrs gordon during the investigation mr gorey afterwards chief justice of the fiji islands and mr j horn payne the commission held a very long and careful inquiry no one could question either the ability or the impartiality of the commissioners there was a general disposition to receive any report they might make as authoritative and decisive meanwhile however 
it need hardly be said that there was no disposition to wait for the story of all that had happened until the commission should have got through its patient inquiries and presented its formal report the english public have long learned to look to the newspaper press as not only the quickest but on the whole the most accurate source of intelligence in all matters of public interest in this case as in most others the newspapers differed in their judgment as to the conduct of the principal actors in the drama but in this case as in all others of late years each newspaper endeavoured to give a correct representation of the facts many wild exaggerations had found their way into some newspapers these came from private letters it sometimes happened that men who had been engaged in putting down the insurrection represented themselves as having done deeds of savage vengeance of which they were not really guilty in some instances it actually turned out that mr cardwell's appeal to the public not to prejudge was warranted even where men deliberately affirmed themselves to have committed the acts which made people at home shudder and exclaim such seemed to have been the fervour of repression in jamaica that persons were found eager to claim an undue share of its honours by ascribing to themselves detestable excesses which in point of fact they had not committed it is needless to say that there was exaggeration on the other side and that affrighted coloured people in jamaica sent forth wild rumours of wholesale massacre which would have been impossible even in the high fever of repression as the letters of the accredited correspondents of the newspapers began to arrive the true state of affairs gradually disclosed itself there was no substantial discrepancy as to the facts and the report of the commissioners themselves when it was received did not add much to the materials for forming a judgment which the public already possessed nor probably did it alter many opinions of many men the history of the events in jamaica told in whatever way must form a sad and shocking narrative the history of this generation has no such tale to tell where any race of civilized and christian men was concerned had the repression been justifiable in all its details had the fearful vengeance taken on the wretched island been absolutely necessary to its future tranquillity it still would have been a chapter of history to read with a shudder it will be seen however that excesses were committed which could not possibly plead the excuse of necessity that some deeds were done which most moralists would say no human authority could warrant or human peril justify jamaica had long been in a more or less disturbed condition at least it had long been liable to periodical fits of disturbance we have already described in this history some of the difficulties occasioned by the condition of things existing in the island when giving an account of the jamaica bill during the melbourne administration it was mentioned that the troubles then existing were in fact a survival of the slave system so were the troubles in eighteen sixty five i suppose there is no island or place in the world said chief justice cockburn in his celebrated charge to the grand jury at the central criminal court in eighteen sixty seven in which there has been so much of insurrection and disorder as the island of jamaica there is no place in which the curse which attaches to slavery both as regards the master and the slave has been more strikingly illustrated what we may call the planter class still continued to look on the negroes as an inferior race 
hardly entitled to any legal rights the negroes were naturally only too ready to listen to any denunciations of the planter class and to put faith in any agitation which promised to secure them some property in the land the negroes had undoubtedly some serious grievances it may be said that some of the wrongs they complained of were imaginary or were exaggerated but it is a very safe rule in politics to assume that no population is ever disturbed by wholly imaginary grievances in such cases unquestionably where there is smoke there is fire man is by far too lazy an animal to trouble himself much with agitation about purely unreal and non-existing wrongs the negroes of jamaica had some very substantial wrongs they constantly complained that they could not get justice administered to them when any dispute arose between white and black the government had found that there was some ground for complaints of this kind at the time when it was proposed by the jamaica bill to suspend the constitution of the island perhaps if the melbourne ministry had been stronger and inspired by greater earnestness of purpose at that time the calamities and shames of eighteen sixty five might have been avoided in eighteen sixty five however the common causes of dissatisfaction were freshly and further complicated by a dispute about what were called the backlands this was a question which might under certain circumstances have arisen in ireland at least it would be easily understood by those who are acquainted with the condition of ireland lands belonging to some of the great estates in jamaica had been allowed to run out of cultivation they were so neglected by their owners that they were turning into mere bush the quit rents due on them to the crown had not been paid for seven years the negroes were told that if they paid the arrears of quit rent they might cultivate these lands and enjoy them free of rent it may be remarked that the tendency in jamaica had almost always hitherto been for the crown officials to take the part of the negroes and for the jamaica authorities to side with the local magnates trusting to the assurance given some of the negroes paid the arrears of quit rent and brought the land into cultivation the agent of one of the estates however reasserted the right of his principal who had not been a consenting party to the arrangement and he endeavoured to evict the negro occupiers of the land the negroes resisted and legal proceedings were instituted to turn them out the legal proceedings were still pending when the events took place which gave occasion to so much controversy jamaica was in an unquiet state within the land as in the territory of the chiefs round laris castle was many a malcontent who cursed the tyranny to which he bent there too frequent broil within had made a path for blood and giant sin that waited but a signal to begin new havoc such as civil discord blends on october seventh eighteen sixty five some disturbances took place on the occasion of a magisterial meeting at morant bay a small town on the southeast corner of the island the negroes appeared to be in an excited state and many persons believed that an outbreak was at hand an application was made to the governor for military assistance the governor of jamaica was mr edward john eyre who had been a successful explorer in central west and southern australia had acted as resident magistrate and protector of aborigines in the region of the lower murray in australia and had afterwards been lieutenant governor of new zealand of the leeward islands and of other places 
all of mr eyre's dealings with native races up to this time would seem to have earned for him the reputation of a just and humane man the governor dispatched a small military force by sea to the scene of the expected disturbances warrants had been issued meanwhile by the custos or chief magistrate of the parish in which morant bay is situated for the arrest of some of the persons who had taken part in the previous disturbances which it may be stated had for their object the rescue of a man on trial for a trifling offence when the warrants were about to be put into execution resistance by force was offered in particular the attempt to arrest a leading negro agitator named paul bogle was strenuously and successfully opposed the police were overpowered and some were beaten and others compelled to swear that they would not interfere with the negroes on the eleventh the negroes armed with sticks and the cutlasses used in the work of the sugar-cane fields assembled in considerable numbers in the square of the courthouse in morant bay the magistrates were holding a meeting there the mob made for the courthouse the local volunteer force came to the aid of the magistrates the riot act was being read when some stones were thrown the volunteers fired and some negroes were seen to fall then the rioters attacked the courthouse the volunteers were few in number and were easily overpowered the courthouse was set on fire eighteen persons the custos among them were killed and about thirty were wounded and a sort of incoherent insurrection suddenly spread itself over the neighbourhood the moment however that the soldiers sent by the governor at first only one hundred in number arrived upon the scene of disturbance the insurrection collapsed and vanished there never was the slightest attempt made by the rioters to keep the field against the troops the soldiers had not in a single instance to do any fighting the only business left for them was to hunt out supposed rebels and bring them before the military tribunals so evanescent was the whole movement that it is this day a matter of dispute whether there was any rebellion at all properly so called whether there was any organized attempt at insurrection or whether the disturbances were not the extemporaneous work of a discontented and turbulent mob whose rush to rescue some of their friends expanded suddenly into an effort to wreck old grievances on the nearest representatives of authority End of section three